Hello, and welcome to Small Business Happy Hour, a podcast where we interview a different entrepreneur or small business owner every week to hear their story. We chat about their business, passions, struggles, and all things small business. Oh, and we drink with our guests during the interview, hence the happy hour. I'm your host, Derek, founder of Yoga for All Humans, a fully online yoga studio. And I'm your host, Holly, creator of the blog, The Bitter Lemon, and author of many books. We are so happy you're here. And we're back for part two. We were getting a little chatty. I mean, we had good questions. So, like, we were just, like, answering the questions. I mean, I don't know if we were, like, we were overly chatty. I mean, we are overly chatty, but um, yeah. it would be best to just break it up into two since it was going to be, like, a two-hour-long thing. So <laughs> Right. Plus, you know, we can keep people on the edge of their seat for part two. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we do a quick life update since we broke it up into two, since we kind of skipped that part last time. I'm very excited about actually being able to donate blood tomorrow because I've, I know I've been giving blood like for therapeutic purposes. I'm on testosterone therapy, which makes like my red blood cell count really high. So like to avoid, you know, blood clots and fun things like that. My doctor was like, well, you just need to donate blood to keep it under control. And then I was like, guess what? I can't. So we had to like find some kind of workaround through the local We Are Blood donation center. But they were just like taking my blood every other month and just throwing it away is all they were doing. Yeah. I know we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, but that just blows my mind. Like given, especially after any kind of like natural disaster. I feel like anytime we have, I don't remember it happening necessarily during COVID, but I feel like anytime there's like a natural disaster um, or some sort of just giant accident, that's the first thing they're like, we need blood donors. And like the fact that, you know, you're a perfectly healthy person and they're just like throwing it away like that blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's fucked up. Um, So yeah, the, New regulations finally went into place. I don't know if it's like national yet or whatever, but um, they've been in the works for a while where it was, you know, the most recent regulation was reducing it. Or it was like, if you've, if you're a gay man, have had sexual relations with another man in the past year, you can't get blood. And so it's finally now where if you're monogamous, you haven't had sexual relations with more than one person in the past three months, you can give blood, which I qualify for. The only exception is if you're on prep, which is like a HIV thing, you can't give blood if you're on prep. Uh, That still, you know, counts out a lot of people in the gay community because prep is so important, you know, to Mm -hmm. protect all against HIV. It's the responsible choice, but can't give blood if you're on prep. So thankfully, I can finally actually donate the blood that I have to give um, every other month. And now I might just go every month if I can donate, you know, like. Yeah, I know. That's awesome. I always want to donate um, just because I can. I know people can't whenever they want to. So I'm like, take it. And you know what? I'll finally know what my blood type is. I don't know what my blood type is. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because like, I didn't have an account with Weird Blood. I would just go in and do it, you know, and now I have an account. And they'll update my blood type whenever I get blood. 
Wow. So you're going tomorrow? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I feel like you, you should do something to celebrate when you're done. I know, right? I mean, it's my Friday off, so I can. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, I have been working on my writing my Hallmark script, which I talk about in this episode, you know, a lot about Hallmark scripts, so I won't go into but too much. But really, I'm just, I'm in a couple of writing groups and I set myself up a deadline. So it was like, I could have put the deadline further out, but I was like, let's just, I'm like that kind of person. I'm like, if I'm going to do something, I'll just do it. So I'm like, let's just, let me give myself a month. I gave myself the month of September to write a script, which is not ridiculous, but, but it is a good bit of writing. And then I, if I get it done in September, which I'm on track to, um, then I have like a week in October to do a little bit of editing, but I can totally turn it in like first draft and like, that's what I'm getting feedback on it. So it doesn't have to be perfect, but, um, yeah, I'm actually, I I mean, when I'm sitting down to write it, I feel like it's kind of a slog a bit, but when I get done, every time I get done with an act, there's nine acts, um, but it's still a two hour movie. I feel so accomplished. I'm like, yes. Like right now I have three more acts to write, but the last two acts are the shortest acts. So I feel like I just have one more, you know, semi long one and then two left. So I feel good about it. And I feel like I'm going to, I'm, I'm planning on not really doing too much writing in October, like take a little break and then I'll go back, hit it hard again, like in November and try and get at least one, maybe two more scripts out before the end of the year, just to say I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how many words are in a script? Like I know it's an act, but like on average, how many words would you say is in a script? Yeah. I, if I'm remembering correctly, I think it's close. I think it's around 20,000. So whereas like a short, uh, a novel like um, Oil and Ink, those are around like 50, 55,000. Okay. Okay. So a script is, you know, less than half. So it's not a novel, but it is like, so a lot of people measure scripts in pages because one, roughly one page of writing for a script is roughly one minute of a movie. Okay. So a feature would be like 120 pages in like your screenwriting software, which is like a full page, you know? Yeah. So a Hallmark movie, Hallmark movies are usually depending on the producer. It's like 95 to 105 pages. So it's because they, they have commercials. So it's not going to hit that 120. It's not a full 120 minute, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's roughly 20,000 words, which I think right now I'm at like, 12,000 something like that so I'm over the hump yeah so it feels good but yeah I also feel like I'm like immersed in it because it's like I've been writing every day and then I'm in these screenwriting groups so I read scripts for other people and offer them feedback so I feel like I just have so many like plots in my brain well I imagine (laughs) I've watched too many tv shows so (laughs) I know so yeah, other than that, I'm just like, I embarked on a pretty big like fall cleaning project. Yeah, you did. Uh, I've lived in my apartment for eight years. Like literally, I think it was like September 12th was like eight years of living in this apartment. And 
I feel like every time I re-sign my lease, I'm like, okay, I still like my apartment, but I was, this time I was just like, I really need to like clean, like deep clean this place, maybe rearrange some stuff, maybe replace some stuff. So today I cleaned my bedroom carpet and an area rug that I have, and I've just been doing all kind of scrubbed the shower with a freaking toothbrush. Like I've just been cleaning, <laughs> but it is so nice when it's done. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I'll be doing some cleaning this weekend since we'll be out of town next weekend and you're coming to watch our puppies. So don't want to have you over here in a pigsty. So, well, I guess we're going into part two of the Q&A where we're talking about our individual questions because part one was all about questions for both and part two is getting into the weeds about us. Let's do it. Get into the weeds. Yeah, enjoy. Now we really get into the personal, (laughs) the personal tea. Mm. I guess I can go first. Oh, no, why don't you go first, since you have five and I have four. Okay. Uh, the first one is, can you tell us about a screenplay you've written? Romance, dying to know more. Um, thank you for this question. <laughs> I know I've mentioned it a little bit on here, but I honestly have been interested in screenwriting pretty much since I graduated from college. It's not something I considered during college. That would have been nice. Because I I didn't, there was a concentration at LSU for screenwriting that I did not take. Um, But someone in a writing class really was like, have you ever considered screenwriting? You know, you kind of have that style. And I was like, no, I haven't. And I kind of just thought about it off and on over the years. I've always been such a TV junkie that it just was on my mind. And I think I was, it really took me several years to realize that I was so interested in it but I was also so afraid of it I think because you put that dream like up on a high shelf and like maybe if you reach it and if you fail that means it's over blah 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 so I was like not really doing anything about it and then when the pandemic hit I was like really just getting annoyed with myself I'm like this is ridiculous like you need to take a class do something so I took an online screenwriting class Uh, during the pandemic, which, you know, those are kind of hard. It's always kind of hard when you're looking at stuff like that. Like, is it actually a good class? I don't know. But it it started getting me thinking in that mode, at least. Um, I had already been volunteering with the AFF, um, the Austin Film Festival, since I moved to Austin. So I was aware of that circle a little bit. Um, But then in 2022, right at the beginning of 2022, I got an email inviting me to a writer's retreat, a screenwriter's retreat in New Mexico. I'm not sure how I got on that email list. I think it was because I volunteered and they were just looking for people to fill spaces, honestly. And I gave myself one hour to think about it and I signed up, paid the money. Um, And since then, it's kind of been full speed ahead. Like I met so many people. I met a lot of people that are successful in the industry. I've been in a right, I've hosted one writer's group for over a year. So we meet twice a month and we submit work to each other and we critique each other's work, which is 
Um, I've heard from people that are successful that that is what you really have to do to like, not only get your work edited, but to kind of get like a thick skin and just always be like on your game. So I joined a second writer's group, um, when I got back from this year's retreat and I wrote, um, so my goal, my goal for the past couple years has really been to focus on Hallmark movies or hallmark style movies which in the industry they just call those movie of the week like an mow style um it's a nine nine act feature because it's got commercials throughout um and it's really just that kind of light rom-com you know lifetime has kind of some of those hallmark um netflix has some and those are those like my favorite kind of movies? Not necessarily. I do love them a lot, but for me, it's really just something that makes a lot of sense because it's a very formulaic way. There's not a ton of room for creativity. So as someone who's such a beginner, I find it's going to be easier for me to like memorize the style and then just change what I can change that was kind of my plan going in. And then now the more people I know and have met along the way, it, it is a good plan. Like, because it's just like, if you're looking for a way to make a lot of movies, to get a check, to get yourself in front of a lot of people, you know, I think it's like some, I don't want to say the numbers wrong, but it's several million people watch Hallmark movies a year. Like it's a ton. So Um, before I went to the writer's retreat last year, I wrote my first Hallmark script, like Hallmark based script. No one from Hallmark purchased it. Of course, as a romance, all Hallmarks are pretty much romance. You know, I feel like all Hallmark movies are like one character is like your big city person going to a small town and your other other character is a small town person and they don't like big cities. So that's where you get the conflict and it's usually a failing business of some kind. you got to save the business before the Christmas carnival, whatever. Um, so for my first script, it, I really wanted it to have like a scene at like the County fair. So it is about a event, like a corporate event planner. She starts off in New York. Hallmark doesn't have pandemics. So something happens to where people are not doing events anymore. So she moves back to her, small town to stay with her parents while she figures things out. And what does she discover? Her high school uh, boyfriend has lived across the street and he is the principal of the local school. To kind of pass the time, she decides to help the community with the fair um, since she is an events coordinator and she keeps running into this ex-boyfriend of hers because, you know, he's helping his students with the art exhibit So they keep, you know, running into each other and they're trying to kind of like see if they can work out their differences uh, before the start of the fair. Um, So that was the first one I wrote. And I also submitted that to my writers group. And wow, wow, did they rip that to shreds. That was one of the toughest nights of my life. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I'm not going to lie. After that, I was kind of like, oh, man, I don't know if this is for me. But then, you know, my friends and family were like, no, you cannot let this like just you got to keep it moving. So now that I'm in a second writer's group, um, that one is a little more regimented. And so I made a commitment to write my next script 
which I already had had like an outline and stuff for. So there's one I'm working on currently, which it'll be done by the time this goes to air. But this one is um, also a Hallmark one, obviously. Um, And it is about a woman who works in her parents' French restaurant. They are from France and they have just like this little cafe in a small town and it's not doing so well. Um, So her friend gets this great idea that like this big time French chef is in town doing these cooking classes and we should sign up and take them. And like, it'll give you some inspiration, put some new things on the menu. Um, So they go to the cooking class and he is just a little disgusted that this so-called cafe is actually even saying they sell French food because it's so Americanized, like they should be ashamed. So of course they butt heads in the beginning, but they find out that they are both like on a mission to, you know, make French food accessible to the people in this small town. But, you know, she needs to turn things around really quickly. And he is trying to decide if he's going to stay in America and keep teaching these classes or if he's going to go back to France and continue being a Michelin star chef. So that's the one I'm working on right now. I'm hoping to with this one, I really wrote most of it in the last two weeks, which I've heard that if you really once you start getting to know that Hallmark style you can really bang them out quick. So I'm really been pleasantly surprised that this is only the second one I'm writing and it's coming pretty fast. So I'm probably going to try and write two more by the end of the year because I'm trying to get um, just a nice collection going so that when I eventually start approaching agents, I can have a lot to show them like a lot of different variety of things so that if, you know, cause the weird thing about the film industry is like, sometimes it's right time, right, right place. Um, So if I have stuff ready to roll and if Hallmark ready to write the check, I'll be like, okay, I have 10 movies for you. (laughs) So that was a long winded way, but yes, um, everything I'll be have written so far and everything I will be writing will likely be romance because that is, um, what Hallmark likes. They don't have sex on Hallmark movies, right? No, they don't like, they don't even, it's like a requirement that the characters do not kiss until the final scene. Gotcha. Yeah. So no, there's no, um, there's, that is something that has been difficult for the writers groups, because if you don't watch Hallmark movies, it's hard to critique like a script on it. So that's why the second group I'm in, they have more people in there that have watched the movies. So that'll be not that I'm I'm not trying to get like good feedback, but it doesn't make sense for me to get feedback. That's like add drugs and sex like that doesn't that, that's not going to happen. Hallmark is incredibly strict about certain, you know, even when it comes to the Christmas movies, like there has to be snow in a certain number of scenes and like they're very strict about which is for me, like I enjoy right now working within the parameters. So you really just can't go like too far off, off the path. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, my question is what's next for yoga for all humans, which is my yoga studio. They said they feel like it's growing. And the second part of the question is, have I thought about working with hospitals? Um, I guess I'll tackle the second part first. So have I thought about working with hospitals? Yes, but I honestly don't know where to start. 
So whoever wrote this question, if you want to follow up with me, I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, hospitals to me are like big and scary. You know, like I, yeah. I don't, I don't even know. Like I don't come from that background, and so like I don't, I don't know how I would tackle that. Like I'll work with anyone. My my goal is making yoga accessible to everyone. I I do have a lot of empathy for like I was saying you know, about work-life balance, doctors and nurses and all that stuff. Like, it's very hard to find work-life balance. And one of the helpful ways is introducing yoga into your daily life, you know, and that's why we have our yoga at work program and our residential yoga program where we're, I'm trying to bring yoga into workplaces because that's where I was introduced to yoga and into residential communities like apartment complexes where they're providing yoga for their residents. I do see hospitals as an opportunity. I just wouldn't know where to start, you know? So I'm open to feedback there. And I do need to give it some more thought. It's been kind of in the back of my mind. So yeah, I'll, I'll think about that some more. As far as what's next for Yoga for All Humans, we are looking at adding a couple classes to the online schedule in the fall. I've been sending out some surveys, I'm going to drop it on the socials probably tomorrow, which is not going to be tomorrow whenever this is airing, but um, to try to get some feedback on like when people actually want to take online classes, because like I went into this venture with like more than 10 teachers, like probably like 20 classes a week on the online schedule, spent a shit ton of money on payroll and like no one was coming to classes, you know, because yeah. like, it's hard to get it's hard to get attention or like social marketing is very hard. And and if it's an online business, that's where my advertising is, is, is social marketing because I don't have a physical studio. And my thought process was, well, these teachers will get people to come into their class. I have trouble getting people to come to my class. So it's not that easy. So one next step is to get more classes added back to the online schedule because it has been very slim just because i had to cut you know cost because i'm i would say like half of the studio's expenses are being covered by my personal expenses right now um so i just had to cut back on what i could i am trying to lean more into local slash on-site classes mm-hmm. Well, for me is here in Austin, you know, it's been easier for me to get people to respond whenever I say I'm a local Austin business, right? Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to get in front of more businesses and um, apartment complexes and stuff um, for on-site classes because there is a big desire, especially I feel like we're still kind of like in that mindset after the pandemic of wanting to like go out and do things because we couldn't for so long, you know? Yeah. So I get that online isn't always desirable, you know, the online piece was more so for people that are busy or just don't like leaving their house like me. You know, <laughs> I don't have any desire to go to a, to a studio and practice with people, but I know a lot of people do. So I've been trying to introduce more on-site stuff and leaning more into that because that's frankly, paying the bills right now more than my online stuff is yeah um so but it doesn't have to be austin alone like if anyone's listening and you live in an apartment complex you work somewhere where you think that yoga would be good 
I'm a recruiter, so I can find a yoga teacher anywhere. I'm an MBA major. Um, so I'm really good at managing, you know, business processes. So, you know, our, our reach is national, like our, our reach is limitless. We can introduce yoga anywhere. You know, I can do so very consistently. So I, I foresee yoga for all humans expanding its online presence. My goal is eventually to have the means to invest in advertising again. You know, I did a lot of advertising stuff that didn't work out. My next step, once I can afford it, is to partner with Katia Marketing to start doing some more social media uh, marketing and then keep expanding the on the on-site stuff here in Austin and beyond. That's 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 the future for I would say the next three years. Okay. Yeah. Okay. My next question is what inspired you to start your Etsy shop? Okay, so I have an Etsy shop called Bitter Lemon Digital. It's all digital products, meaning literally you buy it and then Etsy automatically sends you an email with the product for you to download and however you wish. And I, I honestly was trying to think back because I opened that store in 2019. And I really, you know, this is not... Um, a great answer, but I really started the store because I was seeing a lot of stuff online about passive, making passive income. And I was really curious about it. Curious if it was real, you know, you see all these articles that are like, make $10,000 a month without doing anything or whatever. (laughs) And I was just like, I had a physical Etsy shop prior, which I'll get into later. But I was just sort of fascinated by this idea that, you know, I could have these digital products, which means there's an unlimited amount that you can sell. And if somebody buys it, you know, in the middle of the night, it, it still gets delivered to them. I still make money with in while, while I'm sleeping. Like, I loved that idea. So that's why I started the Etsy shop, the digital Etsy shop that I still currently have. I also... By 2019, I've been working in SEO and digital marketing for 12 years already. But I had, you know, but just been in SEO for like the last the four years at that point. And I was like, I, you know, I can probably use that knowledge to make my shop succeed. Um, so I will say, like, definitely for the first several years, couple years, it was really just an experiment to to put some of these like articles to the test to see how things worked. Um, and when I opened the shop, I was selling digital items, but a lot of them were. I don't think any of the original items I sold are for sale now. Um, they were items that would help somebody else with their digital marketing, like Instagram story templates, um, Instagram story highlight covers, things of that nature. And some of them sold, but um, the, the first item that I posted that sold a good bit, this is so funny, is I made a bingo card for the presidential debates when you said i made a bingo card i knew that presidential debates was coming yeah it was for um i guess the 2020 election yeah no that makes sense if you started in 2019 yeah yeah i think i started it in 2019 and then yeah yeah because and i just it's still that one is still for sale in the shop um it eventually will not be 
but, um, and I didn't, I didn't sell a ton of them, but I think I sold probably 10, which was way more than I, and I, I think I sold them for six bucks. So it was, I mean, 60 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just loved that it. it was such a fun niche item. And I imagine when I was making it, I imagined just people having like these debate parties and like having drinks and just laughing at like the stuff I put on the card was like, you know, whatever they would talk about during the debates, whether it's like the debt, the debt ceiling, like um, mil- veterans, you know, healthcare. Like it was literally just stuff like that. And I could just imagine people sitting around being like, healthcare, yes, and stamping off their bingo card. Um, so that was like the first item I had that sold um, a good bit. I'm still going to have something like that in the shop. Like that's why it's still there because I haven't made my replacement item for it yet. But um, once I saw that go, I was kind of like, okay. I think the key with at least the digital, I think the key with Etsy is like, you have to have a ton of listings. Um, and I think at, for, for years, only recently, only until this year, I had not that many listings in my shop, maybe a dozen or so. And Etsy really wants you to have a lot of listings. Like right now, I think I have about 200. So, but really what inspired me, it wasn't like, I was not necessarily inspired by the products I was selling until, until the bingo cards probably, but those first, and you can tell, I feel like I remember what some of those first items look like. And I mean, they were cute, but like after the bingo cards started selling, then I was thinking like, I don't really have a passion for selling Instagram products or whatever. Like, I don't want to sell products that put people on their phone more. Like I liked this idea of like the bingo card that was like something people were doing off their phones and like having fun together. So, um, but really the inspiration to start it was the passive income, which still brings me so much delight. Even if it's $2, I, I always keep the ringer on my phone because when you get an Etsy sale, the phone literally goes ching ching and that is the best sound i love hearing it when i was working at ulta i would like go on my break and check like how many sales have i made and i just felt so on top of the world even if i sold one two dollar i don't be like my friend sheena was like hell yeah you're making money while you're making money and like, keep thinking about that because i love it so much <laughs> that's so funny i love that that's awesome let's see my next question is you started yoga for all humans online is it still online is it still only online slash will it always be so i, I kind of answered some of that before you know our our, our non-online stuff is our on-site stuff if you have the space right so like at apartments and businesses and things like that we do do like private online classes for businesses that are you know, across the country, not just one location, remote only businesses. We do online stuff for for those kind of places, which is good because it's a nice like team building exercise, a nice way to bring everyone together. Very much still online. I foresee that we'll always have our online schedule, you know, because that was my inspiration for starting it was you know, I, I was doing yoga once or twice a week if I was lucky, you know, in person in Iowa, just because I have a very busy work schedule and going to a studio takes time. And, you know, so like if like you have to go to the studio and then come home, 
that if the class is an hour, that's like a two hour ordeal, you know? Yeah. How it's not easy to find two hours in your day, you know, like yeah. people do it going to the gym and stuff, but like, I'm not a morning person and I'm also not the kind of person that likes to go and do things after hours very often. Mm-hmm. Unless it's at my house, I'll do stuff after hours at my house, but like, you're not going to catch me at six o'clock going to yoga class in person. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> Um, so that was the inspiration with starting the online studio is I know a lot of people need convenience and there's also a lot of accessibility to it, you know, with people that can't physically go to a yoga studio, maybe someone in a wheelchair, um, or people that don't feel comfortable going to a yoga studio for whatever reason, you know, because a lot of the yoga studios are exclusionary. So maybe just where they live. I always think about people in rural areas. That too. Yeah, I had a lot of people on my yoga teacher training because that was another reason that I was actually able to do my yoga teacher training was the pandemic. I did it online. Whereas before, good luck finding an online yoga program that was worth the shit, you know? Yeah. yeah. So a lot of my teachers have kind of been struggling with where to go for yoga, you know, locally, or if they tried to start a local yoga studio and live in a really small town, that's challenging, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, there will always be an online facet of it because online is just going to be more accessible. There, we, you know, we've, we've started doing on-site stuff. I kind of mentioned previously with workplaces and residential places I'm going to keep expanding that in Austin and beyond. I've I've kind of thought about like, I mean, this is like probably like 10 years from now, maybe five to 10 year plan um, franchises, you know, because I would like to see like actual physical studio spaces because like doing yoga in person is really powerful and meaningful. Um, and there's a lot of benefits to it. One of my biggest issues with the yoga industry is the lack of accessibility, both financially and physically. So if I can somehow make a difference with that through like some kind of franchise opportunity where I'm not like really, I don't expect to really benefit that much from the franchise other than like just the brand helping the business owner, you know, mm-hmm. um, I would have a lot of really strict rules as far as like how much you pay your teachers you know, how, what's the maximum amount you can charge for a drop-in or for a monthly membership. Like I would want to institute those kind of having accessible yoga classes. Like I would see a lot of power in and having a physical space where people feel welcome. That is like in the back of my mind, that would be a huge undertaking, you know, but if, if things go well, that is an eventual plan is actually having physical yoga for all humans spaces, I, maybe I'll own one, maybe I won't, but I, uh, not everyone could just come up with a business out, you know, just, it's really hard to, to come up with a business plan and like all those things. And if I can make someone who just wants to have a yoga space where they teach and be inclusive, like if I can make that easier for someone, like, I, I think that would be a lot of fun and make it inclusive and accessible. So I, I would like to see that happen one day. That That's my dream. Yeah. Yeah, that'd yeah. be cool. Okay, my next question is similar. I know you've switched from physical to digital products, and this person is referring to my Etsy shop. Is that a forever change? So, yeah, I opened up a physical Etsy shop. I think it was in 2015 or 2016, really just because 
I I made an item that I wore with a Halloween costume um, when mm-hmm. I started my first job here. The one that um, the CEO said there's no such thing as work life balance. Um, we had a company Halloween party where everyone was supposed to dress up. I, I pretty much hate Halloween. Uh, I'm not going to mince words here. I'm a scaredy cat. And I particularly do not like things where people at work have to wear costumes because I'm terrified of costumes. Yeah. Um, like of masks. And when I worked at LSU, a lot of people would dress up and a lot of people wear masks. And it was always just the scariest time to go to work. <laughs> but anyway, at this job where they had no work-life balance, um, if you did not do something, if you did not participate, that automatically was like you were getting a lecture. Uh, I learned this after the fact when I did not attend the Thanksgiving potluck. Uh, because I also hate potlucks. But anyway, I was feeling good about Halloween because, you know, I started the job in September. So look at that. <laughs> I, I didn't hate it by Halloween, I guess. So... <laughs> Everyone was going to wear a costume. I I was like, I just got to find something I can put together and look like I care. So I went to Goodwill and bought like an oversized men's shirt and went as Holly Golightly uh, for breakfast at Tiffany's where she's wearing the white shirt, the pointed toe flats and like the infamous like sleep mask and just like the dangle earrings. And I made the sleep mask myself. I just bought felt from Michael's and sewed it to like a sleep mask I already had. And I put like false eyelashes on it and I got so many compliments on this and it really like helped people know like what I was. And so I decided to put this on Etsy because I was like, Oh, I'll make some extra money. A lot of people bought the mask and I was really cool, but I also had to make all of them. But I think as I remember the story. <laughs> I really didn't think it through because here's the crazy thing about no matter what, this is not an Etsy problem. This is any kind of business that you have. Like now Amazon has conditioned people to want something in two days. So this, I don't have a sewing machine. Like I was hand sewing these masks, gluing on the eyelashes. I was putting like um, the gold, I I was making it as close to what the one she had. Like I sewed this like gold roping like around the edge, like, and then I use put ribbon because I figure everyone's head is a different size. So it was like ribbon. So I got like one Friday, I got like 15 orders. So that meant like all weekend, I was gonna have to make these masks. And like, I think, I don't know if I had something that weekend. Like I, I, there was something where I wasn't, I didn't have the whole weekend to work on it, but I literally was like, had to make a pattern, cut the pattern so that I could get 15 things out. And I stayed up almost all night once the Sunday nights and then needed to ship them out on Monday. Cause like, that's what people expect. So I ship out these things. Okay. First of all, people kept messaging me being like, Like they were staring at the tracking information being like, why is it going to Texas when I live in Florida? And I'm like, I I don't know, like I sent it to your address, you know, and then some people, probably about half the people when they got the item, they were like, I don't like it. And it's like, okay, so I feel like a lot of them, I just ended up like giving them refunds and then just telling them to throw the item away or give it to someone who might like it. 
I think I already had the shop open when I made made those. Either I did or I kept the, I kept the shop open for years and I sold other items, jewelry. And it was like I had decent sales for like what it was really, but I feel like after that experience with the masks and staying up all night, I was just like, "Oh my gosh, this is so I was so stressed." And having those people not like the item, that I didn't even consider that. I didn't even think people would get them and not like them because I worked so hard and tried to make them all look the same and everything. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And I felt like it was just too much between the shipping, making the items. And then with the pricing, I felt like at the end of the day, I really didn't make any money. Like people don't want to pay shipping anymore because of Amazon. So it's like, you just have to either build that into your cost, but I feel like people also don't want to pay. Yeah. Those things probably should have been like a hundred dollars. And I think I was selling them for maybe 20, like oh, shipping, like it was, they were nothing. Yeah. Um. So I feel like that just put like such a bad taste in my mouth. I definitely respect all the people out here on Etsy and otherwise that are selling handmade items. Cause it's like, woof that is so much work yeah Um, especially if you don't have like a physical like a studio in which to do it like a designated space like I was literally sitting in my bed like making these eye masks yeah so anyway the question was physical to digital products so when I made the switch to the digital store I mean that was just like the biggest weight lifted off my shoulders because I was like, I don't, if someone doesn't like it, well, my store doesn't accept refunds because every single thing in there is like $2. If you don't like it, like get over it. Um, and I don't have to deal with shipping. People instantly get it. I sometimes, I think I've made uh, almost 600 sales now. And I think maybe four or five people have said, I can't find the email and I just send it to them manually. So is it a forever change? I I don't want to say forever. I mean, I think I'll have the digital store forever. Um, I did have one person a few weeks ago reach out to me and ask me if I would print the bucket list and mail it to them. And my initial reaction was no, but I was like, you know, it's one person I could probably do that. Who cares? I think it would be fun. Like there's all kind of like creator markets at in Austin I think it would be fun to print a bunch and sell them like in person somewhere just because um I think it's fun to talk to people that are that would be fun buying your stuff and being around other creatives but I'll be there for support I would love to do that that'd be fun yeah I think it would be fun but other than that I can't think of anything that I would want to sell that's like a physical item really yeah but yeah, I mean, I would never say never, but um, I really do just love the fact that it's a completely digital store. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, that was part of my inspiration for not having a physical space for the studio is less overhead. Yeah. You know? Those freaking masks. <laughs> I remember. I was just like, just stressed for you whenever all that went down because yeah. I was having trouble like you know, Michaels would run out of like different things that you. Yes. I remember. That's right. Cause I had the ornaments, the Christmas ornaments. Those were a big seller also. And yeah, I went to like eight Michaels in one day. Uh-huh. Yes. I honestly kind of forgot about that. Um, those were scary because obviously you're shipping glass ornaments. So it's like, you're just packing stuff up and hoping that they don't get slammed in the back of 
in the back of a mail truck for someone's holiday ornaments. Same thing with those two. I think I sold packs of those for like $30, $40, which is kind of seemed a lot, but I mean, it's like I was painting, hand painting them. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't really know how much money I actually made from that. Um, that was like a fun thing to do. It was a little less stressful than the masks, but yeah, that was, um, yeah, it's been a wild ride. You know, you try to make a buck. (laughs) That's hard. Oh my God. The one thing I will say is that no matter what you do, like if you're, if you're selling physical items, which this is, I thought about this when we talked with Elena, like when I was selling those ornaments, I had a stash of them in my closet. Like you, and I was like, when Michael's put out their Christmas, I went to see what they had and I would buy if I can get them on sale. And then it's like, you just have, I had a Rubbermaid box full of ornaments to paint and sell and like when i tell you when i i sold the rest of i think there were two remaining boxes that i eventually just gave to goodwill because i'm like just get this shit out of my apartment i live in such a small apartment and i was bursting at the seams with freaking inventory (laughs) (laughs) oh my god too funny Uh, well let's see my next question is So this kind of goes to the work-life balance of it all um, and managing multiple things at once. So what are your suggestions for people who work 24-7? How to make the shift to some very much needed self-care and prioritizing scheduling that time? I feel like we've kind of touched on this already, so I'll make it brief. Um, Yeah, no, I feel your pain. Kind of like I was saying a bit earlier is actually scheduling that time and holding yourself to it you know that that's a big part of it is actually like making it a priority and shifting your mindset about it because like a lot of times we think about oh gosh like if i do an hour yoga class like that's cutting into an hour of my work time yes but i guarantee you if you make an hour for that yoga class, the work you produce afterwards and your mental state is going to be a hundred times better. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just mind blowing. So taking a yoga break, even if like, I'm telling you, if it's like a five or a 10 minute break, it doesn't have to be that long. Just like if, if you can't fit 30 minutes of yoga in your day, see if you can find places where you can fit a five minute breathing break in your day like two or three times a day Mm -hmm. or you know a 20 minute yoga class at four o'clock until you have to work until seven like just try to find little rooms for space and it makes a huge difference Mm -hmm. like because i i often work until like seven or eight at night that's pretty regular for me but i guarantee you between the hours of like i would say between the hours of like three to six i find somewhere in there to find some kind of break and it may just be a five or ten minute break it may be a one hour break it just depends on what i can make time for that day but i always try to find some room for a break if i can doesn't happen every day but that's how i manage it you know you just gotta find it where you can and don't don't think that it has to be 
30 minutes or an hour. You can have micro breaks. Yeah. I like what you said about shifting your mindset. Cause I know for me, that is huge. Like I'm somebody that struggles with, if I'm not being quote unquote productive, like I joke that I'm a recovering hustler, yeah. but stuff like that is like, it's like, oh, if, it, if there's a night when I feel so tired and I'm like, gosh, I just want to go to bed early. And then I'm like, no, I have to do this, this, this. But then I, one thing at my previous job that they did for us was they brought in a, a, a I don't know if his official title was like a burnout coach, but he was like somebody who specialized in like teaching people about burnout and how to avoid it basically. And like, if you don't, take breaks like what you're saying if you don't prioritize rest you will go into burnout mode and that will put you down for months if if not handled properly um which i've experienced that and what else oh i also i think it was the a book i read earlier this year i think it was called the book on boundaries i think that's where i read it at um it no it was not that one um there was a book called literally called burnout it's by two women and one thing they talk about is how like our brains are not meant to go consistently we're actually made to like oscillate between hard working mode like middle middle working and then like rest and oscillating between those stages so that's what i when you talk about breaks like that's it's like okay i always do mine like I look at my tasks and then I'm like, okay, I did, I see this. I'm going to do it, take a break, and then I'll tackle my next task. Yeah. Yeah, and I find that, like, if you're feeling guilty about taking a break, if you're feeling guilty about taking a lunch break, because, like, I struggle with that, and I work from home, so this won't work for everyone. But if you work from home or have some flexibility and I'm feeling a little guilty about it, I'll try to do something productive and adding on something I enjoy. So doing the dishes while I listen to a podcast. Mm-hmm. So that, like where I'm still getting a break, but I'm also doing something productive. So it's getting like, a mental break. Yeah, yeah. You just got to trick your mind. You know? <laughs> that's a lot of it is tricking your mind for sure. I, I love I love pairing t- a task I don't want to do with a task I do want. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> because, I mean... If you work 24-7, you also have a fucking household to keep up with. So, like, you know, it's it never ends. You know, that that's called adulting, and it sucks. Yes. Okay, uh, my next question, what is the biggest barrier getting started with Etsy? This one took a little thinking. Um, I think, honestly, the biggest barrier getting started with Etsy is just understanding how the platform works because it is like its own thing. I've come to learn that Etsy is very much a search engine, just like Google or Instagram or whatever, which, you know, is kind of annoying, especially if you're somebody that's a most creators are also not digital marketers, which so it sucks. So it's like you have to kind of figure that out. Um, The other thing I will say, it may not be a barrier for a lot of people, but Every time you upload an item to Etsy, it costs 20 cents. Mm. And if you're selling a lot, like for me, Etsy puts money into my bank account every week if there's money to put in. Um, If it kind of sits in a balance. So if I upload a new item in the week, it takes the 20 cents from that balance. So it's like you don't really see it. But if you're in a point where you're just starting your shop and maybe you have 200 items to upload, I mean, that's a a little bit of 
cash, you know? So, and I will say like every time somebody buys something from Etsy, they do take fees and then they do a restock fee, which is the 20 cents again. So you, it is a little bit of money. It's not, obviously it's not a physical store, what a physical store would cost. But if you're like, that's, that's one thing about all those articles that are out there that are like, make $10,000 in a month, whatever. Well, you're, you're going to have to have a lot of stuff to upload. You're going to have to have the cash to upload it. Um, and you have to know how the platform works. And I will say one thing I've learned, especially in the past year is that Etsy wants you to use every single feature they have. So when they say put 10 listing photos of your item, you got to put all 10. If they have the opportunity for you to put a video, you got to put a video. So some people will put like other things in the image thing, like directions on how to download or whatever. I put 10 different images. I make a video just using Canva. I make it as easy on myself as I can. But I think some people think it's just going to be like, oh, I'll put one picture up. I don't, I'm not going to mess with a video. I won't write a description. You can do that. But like Etsy's not going to show your listing to anybody. So I think that's probably just the biggest barrier. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. My last question. So this question was around wellness programs at work. I've talked a lot about wellness at work. So it was kind of about the fact that a lot of wellness programs don't necessarily focus on wellness. They more so focus on weight loss because wellness is kind of a, an undefined term, right? Like, what is wellness? Ask 10 people and you'll probably have a different definition, right? Yes, Uh, our episode, what was it, like our second episode with Singal? Yes. We talked extensively about wellness. We sure did, yeah. And that that's actually probably beyond French Fried Vintage, (laughs) our most popular episode, probably for that reason. Yeah. Uh, we did talk a lot about wellness and how it's different for everyone. And it really is. It's different for everyone. And in different countries too. Yes. And in different countries as well. Um, so in the United States, we have these fancy wellness programs at most corporate America, most corporate offices, because, you know, corporate offices want to act like they are trying to take care of their employees. It's it's just a big farce, really, is what it is. And these wellness programs aren't called Virgin Pulse Wellness Program, but like these huge conglomerates are running these wellness programs. So you're just like the wellness programs are just feeding the billionaires is all is all there is to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of wellness programs have challenges. They're usually going to be steps challenges, which are ableist because what the fuck are you going to do if you're in a wheelchair? <laughs> or weight loss challenges, which like, you know, like, what if you don't need to lose weight? Or what if you can't lose weight? What if you don't want to lose weight? You know, what if you're diabetic? Like, there's so many things that go into it that are exclusionary. And it just infuriates me. And a lot of wellness programs have yoga programs and different kind of like fitness videos in it. And I'm talking to someone who's been in an HR pro- like HR career for over a decade at this point. I've experienced three different platforms and I can guarantee you none of those yoga programs were accessible. So it, it, it was cool that there was yoga as an option, but like, 
the easy yoga videos like left me breathless you know it was like and even that was whenever i was even in pretty good shape so like just because i guess what where i'm getting at this is not meant to really be a sales pitch but just because your workplace has a wellness program don't think that that's the end all be all like there are a lot of different things that you can do in addition to that wellness program or in replace of that wellness program yes it takes more work but like if you actually care about the wellness of your employees think outside of these out-of-the-box wellness programs because they're not really supplying wellness we have a yoga work program that you for all humans uh, <laughs> that is very affordable and accessible so um there's there's a lot of options that you can explore and if if you want to pick my brain you can do it for free um i'm happy to explore wellness options for your workplace even if you don't go with yoga for all humans like i really just want people to feel better um about work and we're kind of talking about taking those breaks and stuff like there's a lot of ways that you can facilitate that as part of work life yeah yeah, you bring up some good points. My mom has like a wellness program at her work that involves a lot of the stuff you were saying. And I know they did a weight loss um, yeah. thing and she didn't even realize it, but that was actually like super triggering um, yeah. for her yeah. stepping on the scale. And it was, yeah, we had an, actually an interesting conversation about it. Um, but it's like stuff you may not even realize until you do it. And then you're like, oh my God, <laughs> bad idea. Yeah, yeah. Okay, my last question is, do you ever think of selling your digital products yourself instead of through Etsy? Yes, uh, this is actually something, uh, a goal that I have for 2024 is to create my own like Shopify site where I'll sell my products. I will, my plan is to pretty much just sell the exact same things I sell on Etsy, but I also am going to keep my Etsy shop. I think Etsy, it's kind of strange, not strange, but it's just something that I've thought a lot about. Mostly my initial thought was, you know, Etsy is a platform that I do not own. I could wake up one day and they just say, we don't want you to sell your stuff anymore. And all that work will be gone down the drain. So it would be easier if I could just upload new items to both platforms, one for quote unquote myself and one for Etsy. Um, So that's kind of going to be my initial plan. I actually tried to upload a um, an item last year that was like a fall, a list of fall reading recommendations or something. And I was going to like put it on a digital thing where you could buy it and either like check off the items, whatever. It was just a list of fall books. Etsy thought that I was like trying to copyright something from Netflix. I don't know. So they were like, we're not going to let you put this item up. And they like just put my account like on watch for like 30 days. So like if I did something like that again, my store would get taken down or something. I don't know. (laughs) So that was when I was like, oh, this is a little, little fragile. (laughs) And I have seen from other Etsy creators over the last year in particular that Etsy whether it is by way of their algorithm or the fees that they're choosing to take you know, they're, they're actually kind of in some ways making it difficult for creators to succeed on this platform that's supposed to be for creators, which is really frustrating. Like, I feel like my store has been doing really well, but it's doing really well because I'm like following all these rules that Etsy has, you know? Yeah. 
So I will say it is, I think it's going to be beneficial to have my own shop. However, even though when now it, it used to be that when you went to Etsy, it's like you could only find these items that you're looking for on Etsy. Now Etsy is part of of Google search. So if you go in and search for a bucket list, my listings are still going to come up just like they would in Etsy. However, a lot of the traffic I get is direct, like from my blog or whatever. And Etsy recently made it. So like if I use a personal link, they take less fees because I feel like they probably know people are going to start jumping from the platform. But the one thing that Etsy has that another pla- another if my own website ha- does not have is that like at the bottom, like when you're looking at an item, it will say like similar items. And I do think I get traffic from that. I'm not 100 percent sure, but I can um, I can't imagine that I wouldn't just because um, people are probably browsing something else. They see it. You know, it happens when you're on any shopping site. Yeah. Um. So I would still keep the digital the Etsy shop. Um, I have no like deep feelings of hatred or anything toward Etsy. I just notice like I follow other creators on Instagram and I see like that they said that their stuff just isn't getting the traffic that it used to. And I feel bad because this is not my full-time job, you know? Um, but I know a lot of people that is like their livelihood. So that's really scary. What I will say, I think is really cool about if you're a creator on Etsy is they do offer you different resources, whether it's like all the time you can get like trials for like free software to use, or they'll host these like classes on like how to, you know, do social media marketing better and things like that. And one thing they do every quarter is this thing called Etsy up where they get all of their you know, higher ups together. And they tell you like, here's what's trending in search. Here's what um, consumers are looking for this season. And like, I always attend that. And I think it's so fun. The one that they do for holidays, usually in October, and they have these like trend inspectors that will literally tell you like, like for spring and summer, they were like, anything with radishes, anything with mermaids, like it's like the specific items. So if you're really like, I mean, I don't know where else you would get that information. I guess you could probably find it somewhere, but I do think it's cool that they put that on. It's like this, just, it's like a digital webinar thing they do. And um, I love hearing that. And like, they show like success stories from other store owners and they kind of share like, this is how I grew my store and whatever. So I do love the stuff that they offer the creators. Um, but I, I, I am definitely going to be making like a Shopify site or something next year. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Just I, I don't want it to disappear. <laughs> well, no, it was a good point that you made. Like you don't own Etsy. Like what if Elon Musk decides that he wants to buy Etsy and fuck it up? Like that's a reality that could happen, you know? Yeah. Or like, my thing is like, what if someone is just like, you know, I've had people get mad at me for something I said on the blog and then go take it out on me elsewhere. I had one girl purchase um, my blog class online and then she took it just so she could leave a poor review. And she left this nasty review that was absolutely not true. I couldn't get it taken down because it was for a platform that I don't own. And they were like, it's fine. She just took your class and didn't like it. And I'm like, no, this person has a personal thing against me. So I'm like, what if someone just went to Etsy and reported my shop? 
for something I didn't do. Like I, they could take it away. So it's, it's honestly super scary. I don't think that would happen, but like, I would be so upset. So I definitely want to do what I can, what I can to protect myself. When it is scary for people that, like you said, like it's not your livelihood, but for some people it is like, I don't know if you remember this, but like OnlyFans at one time was going to have no nudity or pornography yes their platform and that's pretty much all it is you know like yeah and so they were going to be a lot of only fans content creators that would have been like fucked you know yeah and And that was really bad because only fans saved you know sex workers during the pandemic and it makes sex work so much safer um, yeah people so um yeah, that was, I was really feeling for those folks. Yeah, yeah, but they stood together and stood up against OnlyFans, and OnlyFans changed it time, you know? So, yeah, that was that was a nice success story of power of the people, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, we answered all the questions. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. It was. Then we talked forever. Well, I know, we did. We did. <laughs> It's our, it's our personal stuff. You have a lot to say, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to, as the audience grows, maybe doing like an open call for Q and A's like once a season. Um, and then kind of like just expanding on it, you know, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely would be, it would be fun to do, um, like something live too, you know, with questions like an Instagram yeah. or something like that. Yeah, that would be fun. Although some of these questions I had to think about last night. <laughs> I was like, hmm. Some of these questions real time would have been a little stumped. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So um so yeah, we have one more episode, which will be our thirtieth episode to round nicely round out the season two. Uh and then yeah, we'll take a break so we can prepare for season three. That's right. Yeah. So I'm excited i feel like each season i mean there's only been two but i feel like it's gotten better you know um i, I don't want to say higher caliber guests because every guest is important but yeah like we're you know we're growing we're getting a little bit more attention and you know like i said towards the beginning you know the attention we get is really for our guest right so it's it's positive all around um so i'm excited about to see where things go for next season um and i appreciate all the questions and the engagement we've gotten so far yeah keep it coming yeah yeah, yeah. well see you next tuesday i guess right yeah. <laughs> bye y'all thanks so much thank you so much for taking the time to listen Holly, where can people find you? They can find me on Instagram and Twitter at OrangeJulia7, also on TheBitterLemon.com and on Etsy, Bitter Lemon Digital. And Derek, where can people find you? So I am on Instagram with my personal account at Yoga with Derek, and that's D-E-R-E-K, spelled the correct way. And on Instagram for Yoga for All Humans, it is at Yoga for All Humans on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Um, don't judge my TikTok game. I'm still learning. On LinkedIn, you can sync up with me, Derek Hagler, on there. 
And Yoga for All Humans has its own LinkedIn account as well. And of course, yogaforallhumans.com is the studio's website. Small Business Happy Hour has its own Instagram account at Small Business Happy Hour. Or you can email us at smallbusinesshappyhour at gmail.com. Cheers. Cheers. See See you next Tuesday. Tuesday.